Hey everybody, this is Brent Watkinson with Everyday Artist. Today's guest is Anna Fox Ryan. Her website is foxryan.com. That's F-O-X, like the animal, Fox Ryan, R-Y-A-N.com. And as always, you can see images of Anna's work and links to Anna's website on my website, brentwatkinson.com. Remember to please click that subscribe button wherever you are listening to this podcast because it is free to subscribe, and not many things out there are free. Anna is an artist, a speaker, and participates in several daily creative endeavors, and she is practicing to engage in creativity in all aspects of her life on a routine basis, which is something all the rest of us should try to do as well. She is also currently the director at Kingman Art Hub, an artist residency in Kingman, Arizona. Anna approaches her artwork from what I will call a unique internal avenue. She will enter the studio, gauge her energy and emotions, and try to capture her deepest thoughts and consciousness so as to provide the springboard to instigate a new emotive image or to pursue working on an image that is currently in progress. Anna Fox Ryan. Let's get into it. Anna, you're one of these wonderful people that does a lot of artistic endeavors, and I know you divide your time between several, so let's begin the process of divulging what it is you do, maybe starting with what you spend the majority of your time working with. Okay, <laughs> let's see. How that can was I go a down big question, here? wasn't it? Yes. Um, uh, the, the most present uh, artistic endeavor is my oil painting, which is a combination of oil painting, which documents my studies in um, spirituality, shamanism, uh, and then how energy moves in a more, um, I guess, a more scientific way between relationships, like within an individual, between individuals when they're interacting, and so on. Um, so that's my main thread of curiosity right now. And other threads are, um, I'm the director at an artist residency in Kingman, Arizona. It's called the Kingman Art Hub. And I get to house uh, and offer studio space to 12 plus artists every year. And that's fascinating. Living with artists of all different types and digging into conversations, uh, you know, and exploring the connections and how everyone is expressing their messages. Um, that, that I love. So there's that. Um, and I'm also, I'm, a, I'm, I really enjoy writing. I wouldn't consider myself a, a professional, um, but it's something that I really appreciate. Uh, and I also, 
and, 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 you know, I sing in the car, I sing when I'm wandering around the house and, you know, my ideal studio time is, is when there's no one else in the studio and I can paint and sing and dance all at once (laughs) because then I get the whole body involved. I get my voice involved and like the, the passion just flows as opposed to, uh, focusing all of my energy on, on executing the painting or just sort of manually manipulating the tools. I can really get the energy flowing in that way. Well, I know you also do yoga and what, what, um, does that play in your artistic world? Is it just to keep your body moving and in tune with itself? Um, yoga is a relatively recent endeavor of mine. And it is really, my intention with the practice is to get myself embodied. Um, and what I mean by that is there's a tendency to just be in the mind and to analyze and to intellectualize my life (laughs) and all of my experiences and especially in stressful times and then the world is facing a lot of stresses and challenges these days it's easy to sort of disembody or sort of step outside of yourself and it's a way of numbing yourself to the reaction your reaction to the experience but it's also a way of, of, of um abandoning yourself and that that creates more issues and so My goal is in the practice, and I'm starting with very slow practices like level one and yin yoga, which is holding poses for extended periods of time. I'm I'm starting with these slower practices to really acquaint myself with the the my energy system in my physical body and each part of my body, each section of my musculature, down to even the cells. Uh, I want to communicate with these and understand, you know, in the tension that is being held there, what, what is the message? Like, what is the, what was the initial prompt to hold that tension to, to, to say, Ooh, it's not safe to relax. Let me, let me tighten up. And I want to go in and just gently and lovingly offer a safe space to open. When did you first realize that you could have an effect on a cellular level. I'm not sure I am familiar with that. Mm. Um, Is it like biofeedback? You know, it's hard for me to say, and I'm not, I'm, I studied with Alberto Violdo uh, regarding shamanic energy medicine, and he wrote a book called One Spirit Medicine. And he, in that book, he talks, and I took a program with him on that as well. Um, in that book, he talks about uh, how the energy system plays into the physical expression. And so I think a lot of people enter the relationship from the physical first and then move into the energy. Um, my route into connecting with my body was actually tapping first into my energy system and then realizing that however I'm holding energy in my aura, my chakras, or my energy meridians, it then manifests physically. So if, if something disruptive is held long enough in my body, or if the impact of what I am experiencing is abrupt enough, the physical body will hold evidence of that. And over time, it may produce a, 
uh, an injury. It may produce a chronic pain. It may just be a tight little knot in the, in the leg. It may be a larger illness. Um, but the idea is, uh, so yeah, so I learned about it through my shamanic practices. But the idea is if, as we create balance in, in how we show up with ourselves, our environment, our experiences, and we really resonate in that that balance, then the body can find its equilibrium as well. How long did you have to undergo the study before you could physically feel it happening? Uh, was it instantaneous? Did it take a day, a week, a month? So, so I think there are two parts of this question. There's, there's the how long until I felt it, and then, and then there's like mastering it. <laughs> so the like, I, I'm, I agree. Yeah, I understand that. <laughs> There's so the first part is uh, I'm I'm an extremely sensitive person and just to clarify I don't mean that I'm fragile sensitive I mean that my perceptions and my sensitivity is the volume is sort of turned up um, I think I'm classified as what is considered a highly sensitive person or HSP so um, touch sound. Uh, just subtle, like if you were just to shift how you were um, showing up in this conversation, if you were to shift from friendly to like feeling tense or angry, I would probably pick up on that, uh, even though I can't see you right now. <laughs> um, so I immediately was able to feel this. And I'm, I'm remembering a specific experience in um, my shamanic studies where a teacher said, had me stand across the room and close my eyes and energetically she just pushed and I almost fell over and I had my eyes closed and I had someone there spotting me. Um, and then it went on from there, but that was to me, that was the first demonstration, um, of how sensitive I am to, um, to, to, to energies, uh, to those sorts of impacts you know we we consider our experiences with others and we're looking at the tangible or the something we can measure like oh these are the words that were said this was how they touched me but but so much in fact so much so much more of the ex exchange is happening on an energetic subtle level and so tapping into that feels very valuable now i've been exploring this and really working closely with this in my um, paintings it is the subject of my paintings and um i don't feel that i've mastered it but i i do feel that i am highly skilled with it with tracking the energies and you know and asking the right questions because i'm less interested in nailing down definitives i'm more interested in just getting curious around what the next movement is going to be i can see how in your safe studio environment that you can control all this what if you're at the grocery store right and <laughs> and, and something is amiss or mm -hmm. there's some negative energy that that comes your way so are these skills helpful in recognizing that you know it, it's it's not a a personal threat or it's not a life endangering threat and uh, do you deal with it differently now than you would have X amount of months or years ago? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, in the past, 
if I were to engage with someone um, who was really gruff or rude or disruptive, I would, my default was to take it personally, A, to take it personally, and B, to cast blame on the other person. And so, oh, they're bad. I'm good. How dare they? Blah, blah, blah. Um, now, I... I, I more so just recognize it like as, oh, this is, this is the vibration that they are in right now. Maybe it's because, you know, something annoying just happened for them. Maybe they're in a really challenging spell in their life, but the way they are treating me is not about me. It's about them. Um, yes. And I, I think there are what I call energy vampires out there. Some uh, people, yeah. some people can walk into a room or be in a situation and they're like vampires just sucking the energy out of everything and everyone around them. And mm-hmm. my, my best defense is to leave or to get out or ignore them or something. But, uh, and, but you're right. It, it's, it's more on them. And I just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, I guess. That's the way I think of it. Yeah. And I think, too, that um, so those people definitely exist. And I think there might even be certain situations where everyone can show up and, and need something, but it's, it's the people who are chronically in a deficit um, that are chronically feeding off of another person. Yeah, I, I, I think one thing that I have been working with a lot in the past year as I've moved into this new space in my life. I, I, and last year I moved from Philadelphia to Arizona, um, to live at this artist residency and then now become the director, as I mentioned earlier, I had to really start exploring boundaries a lot more. And, and boundaries of yourself or other people, uh, my, my personal boundaries. And then that, that showed up also as having to learn how to watch and listen for other people's boundaries and boundary cues, because a lot of people will have an edge where they're, they're like, okay, I'm not going to let you in. And if you, I'm not going to let you ask that question or learn this information about me. And if you try to, I'm going to shift from being kind and polite to being gnarly and defensive. And I might even attack you just to keep you out that sort of thing. And some people will do this, well, they'll communicate their boundaries gently and clearly because they, are, they know what they are. They know what their personal edges are. And, and I've seen other people who don't know how to articulate it. And so it shows up in um, behavior that can come across as a rejection. And so learning how to redefine what a rejection means as opposed it that's that's been sort of a task am I rejecting others are they rejecting me is it a rejection or is it just saying like oh that's not desirable connection right now is not desirable or it's just not a match and so like removing the judgment and allowing everyone to be uh valid in their boundaries in their in their personal needs and space that's been something that I've just I've had my attention on well I've been in situations we all have in mm-hmm. which people are, um, like you said, being aggressive or gnarly. And a lot of times I just kind of sit and listen and become passive because at that point to me, it just becomes information. So I'm listening mm-hmm. to them and I'm trying to figure out a, how I can get out of there and get away <laughs> from that, you know, bad thing. I, I, 
I'm the same way with lots of media outlets and dare I use the word news because mm. I, I like to participate in the United States. I like to participate in the environments you know, around me and situational things. But there's a lot of times where I just, I know I cannot have an effect and it's all this negative fear that's coming toward me. And, yeah. and I just, I just don't want to deal with it. And I'll think I'll just go to my studio and do something positive. I'll go build something while all these other yes. people are tearing stuff down. I think it is so important to, to build what we want instead of trying to tear everything else down because this generative energy will, will attract more generative energy and more people who are willing to, to put in that, that effort and have presence with that inspired idea. Being so, destructive is easy. That's it the is, easiest it thing is. to do. Being positive and constructive is difficult. Mm -hmm. And obviously it, it spreads out and, and comes back to you uh, many times over. But mm -hmm. um, uh, I met you in a teaching situation, and I know you teach also. Yes. And I've never realized or I've never understood why certain teachers will go into a critique and they'll look at an image or a sculpture or a, you know, read a, a story, whatever it is. But a teacher will just say, this is terrible and I'm not even going to talk to you about it. Well, that's easy. The hard yeah. part is to look at it, analyze it and give constructive ways for that student to get on a better path and recover from Mm -hmm. <laughs> doing such a bad piece of work. That's why they're in school. Right, right. And I feel like oftentimes the the doorway like th into that space is by asking questions, by getting curious and asking, okay, why did you make this choice? What what were you what were you feeling about this? How do you feel about it now? Okay, if you could change something, anything, you know, if you could do this over, if you had all the skills in the world, all the resources in the world, what would you do? to get them thinking about the possibilities instead of how they screwed up. But of course, they also have to want that. They have to want to, to go there to make the improvements. But, and it's important that, that the improvements are their vision. But I feel like it's our role to in, assist in inspiring and informing and, and, and directing that vision if I as had, teachers. Yes. And if I had my way, the perfect artist studio in a learning situation at a, at a school, mm. there would be no headphones, no mm -hmm. MP3s, no YouTubes. You're not going to watch movies. You really have to concentrate. And part of, part of the way that I can back that up is the single most effective and expensive gym that Hollywood actors use to get in shape for their big movie that's coming up in 18 months or whatever. I don't have the name of it, but you walk in and it's a gray floor. There are no mirrors. There is no sound system. You can't use your phone. You can't listen to music. And there are no Nautilus machines. It's all free weights and jump ropes. And you use the resistance of your own body. And that is so in tune with, I think, what you're talking about also. Presence. Yeah, be there. <laughs> mm -hmm. Really be there with yourself. 
Yeah, I was having this conversation about presence yesterday with two 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 different people actually, and just acknowledging how distracted we all are. We kind of default into distraction mode where. I think it's, that's part of the plan. I'm not a conspiracy guy, but I really, <laughs> I really think that's part of the plan is to make everybody so busy. Please continue. Yeah, I feel like we default into distraction mode where it's easier to multitask and like the fire has been lit under our butts and put us, I think, I think, I feel like a lot of us are in survival mode instead of thriving mode. And so we feel like we have to say that again. I, I totally agree. Yeah. I feel like a lot of us are, are in survival mode instead of thriving mode. So we're, we are making our choices and you speaking and taking action in a desperation to try and just get by, get, have like, and so that means we, that we are assuming that we're operating in a deficit, a deficit of time, a deficit of money, um, and other resources that will allow us to relax. And that's why I believe our, our systems, our physical body defaults to tension because it is what, so for example, when I, I live in the desert, hydration is a thing here. Like you gotta be on it. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and I learned that the hard way. And when my body doesn't have enough water, I notice that not only do I physically get tight, but I go into um, my anxiety or my depression, even if I let it get far enough in, they go off the charts. And it's not that I'm um, mentally unwell. It's that I have put my body, I've compromised my body to such a degree that it has gone into red alert mode. It has gone into, we're in deficit, we're, we need to fight to survive, this is terrifying, get me out of here, get me out of here, get me out of here. So it's desperation. And I think that we it's time to slow down. It's time for all of us to slow down so we can really listen to our bodies, listen to our needs, and serve them. And I think this is something that's hard for people because I think, um, and, I, and you know, I'm speaking for myself too, when when one acknowledges their personal needs, they then have to take responsibility for meeting those needs themselves. That's the only way to 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 begin moving forward in an empowered manner. I know there are people who need assistance and, and we can request assistance, but to we need to not require that other people do our lives and resolve our our wants and needs for us. Well, I've tried for years to get the point across. My message to students is that being an artist is twofold. Mm -hmm. Number one is physical. You have to learn how to do things and draw or paint or sculpt or grind metal, whatever it is you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. But there's the other half is mental. And maybe mental is 51%. Uh, and, and they look at me like I'm crazy because they've maybe never heard that before or it had never been put in those terms. And I'm always telling them, you have to get a hold of your brain mm -hmm. so that you can move forward with the other part of creating art. Yeah. Yes. I totally, totally agree with that. There, Cause there's such a difference between executing a task or 
producing an image or a creation and and then and then actually creating or channeling like to be in the zone in my opinion is to channel forward and a message that goes with whatever form of art you're creating whether it's dance music writing painting anything that means that your head game has to be straight anna what types of processes are you using now in your personal artwork and how does some of our previous conversation about energy come into it so i've been going back and forth between oil paintings and watercolor paintings. And so that's like, you know, the, the mechanical processes. Those are the materials I'm using. My, my personal process is to, I'm kind of sitting and closing my eyes and going into that space. I really track into how I'm feeling in that moment. I'm searching within my body and my emotional system to feel where there is connection and where there might be unrest. And I'm translating that into a color. I might, I might feel a specific connection and then I can name the emotion and maybe the emotion is, okay, so I'm thinking of a specific painting right now. It's all about transition. And I didn't necessarily know that it was about transition at first, but I knew that it was about sort of moving through the challenges of life and forward into this unknown, but an unknown that I was certain held beauty and light and grace. And then as I move through each individual part of the painting, like every square inch, there's a new color or a new brush mark that's going to define um, my relationship to the space around me. So I'm, I'm painting abstractly. And yet I'm defining very specific things. I'm making tangible what is intangible in my inner landscape. So a lot of people will look at my abstract works and say that they feel a sense of depth or they can perceive a landscape or something that they end up resonating with what for me is the figure, but it is not in any way a, a human figure that I have painted in there, but more the essence of that energy. When you feel a certain emotion, does it always translate to the same color with you? Um, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, it, the emotions are much like color. If you put one color in a space, in a gray space all on its own, then it's going to resonate just as that color. If, you put, if I put yellow down, it's going to resonate as yellow. But then as I put red next to it, maybe it's a hot red, that's going to change how that yellow is responding to it. If I put a cool red yes, next to it, a quinacridone maybe, next to my Hansa Yellow Deep, that's going to create a different dialogue with color as well. So I feel my emotions are the same way. They kind of come in, in a bouquet of sorts and they all inform one another. And so like I might have sadness. We all have sadness. <laughs> and, and, and on the edges of that sadness where it butts up against the anger that I have around that same subject, which is that anger that is trying to protect my sadness, that is going to create, um, there's going to be heat there. There might be some sharper edges. There's going to be like a, a tightness around that boundary and that guardedness. But if I then shift through the sadness 
over onto the other side where maybe I'm feeling, maybe there's a feeling of loss, uh, betrayal. But, and those are two different things, acknowledging that. The loss might, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, more of a space between the loss and the sadness. There's a lighter color. There's this sort of atmospheric blue, misty, uh, almost like with hints of green in it. So that sadness might be the central focus, but it changes according to the other emotions that I can name that are associated and linked to it. And this is part of my exploration is really going beyond like, oh, I feel sad Let, I, and, and I don't know why, so I'm just going to writhe in the sadness and suffer it. Instead, I'm really going into it and, and finding why, what, and then I'm giving love to that, that I, I get all the way down as far as I can into the core of it. And it might be that loss. And then it's okay to feel sad about that loss. And I can give myself love and ask myself, what do I need to fill, to fill this space or to allow myself space to grieve, to mourn? And then that allows me to move on to the other side of it. So color and emotion are, are very much, they're almost one and the same for me. I, I have a memory of being at the Phillips, in, in the Phillips Gallery in Washington, D.C., and I walked into the Rothko room. They have a small room that has three large, relatively large Rothko paintings on the wall and a bench right in the middle. And there's a door. So most of the museum has these archways and you just walk through. But this room you could go in and the door would close behind you. So I sat on the bench and I faced one painting and then the next and the next. And I started to just cry and even telling the story now like I can feel those tears and I think they feel beautiful like they come from like my stomach up through my heart and then all the way up to the backs of my eyes and it was just sitting there with this painting and there's simple color fields but as I tuned into the color fields and the quality of the edges where each color met the next it allowed me to access a specific emotion or it, it, because those colors and how they relate to one another on the page or on the canvas, they hold a specific vibration because a color is a frequency and emotion is also a frequency and it's held in the, the energy body. And so when those two things meet, when the frequency of the painting meets that frequency within my energy body and how it how it exists and and what memories and nostalgias I hold um, in relation to it, that's the conversation that's happening that has nothing to do with words. And that's that's the power of color. I, I love Rothko's work because it's so simple and so to the point. My favorite Rothko quote is and I hope I get this correct, a painting is not a picture of an experience, but is the experience. Amen. That is heavy to me. <laughs> oh my God, that is light Isn't and freeing good? to me. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's heavy. Yeah. It, it goes back, and uh, my listeners have heard me tell this story before, it goes back to uh, there was a group of people and politicians and 
um, you know, uh, people that were important in Paris at the time. And they went to visit Matisse in his studio for whatever reason. And they were walking through. And of course, there were stacks and stacks of work and paintings and drawings and clippings and whatever else. And one of the visitors said quite innocently, this, um, the arm on this woman doesn't look quite right. And Matisse said, that's not an arm on a woman. It's a painting of a woman. Mm-hmm. So same kind of thing. Yeah. Well, if um, 10 people came into your studio and we were looking at one singular piece of work, are we, it's a two-part question, I guess, are we supposed to see the same things that you were feeling when you were experiencing this painting? Or is it okay if I have my own interpretation along with the other people maybe having something dissimilar or similar? Mm, I love this question. You know, my, the short answer is everyone is entitled to their own experience. And my even, my request even is that, that everyone have their own experience and not, I'm, I'm less interested in someone's interpretation or like their intellectual ideas that come off of the painting. I am more interested in, in the, in how it makes them feel, what it makes them remember, what is the essence of their felt experience and response to the image. And that again, requires slowing down, stepping out of the, stepping into the unknown, because if we're going to approach a painting, especially an abstract painting and say, oh, well, I see a figure here and it looks like, it looks like maybe there's like a field or I don't know, maybe some flowers over there. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and name all of these things. Then I, I, my personal feeling is that you were missing the point because if someone, and I'll speak for myself, if I choose to paint something abstractly, it's because the details don't matter. They don't. The I'll, details. I'll are go the, along with that because the um, the eyelashes and the the pores in the skin that that doesn't mean anything. It's the actual foundation of the picture making. I think is the only important thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to me, it's the expression moving through it. So I hold the belief that the artist, while they're creating a painting, they hold a specific vibration and that vibration will change during a single session. It'll evolve. And during, you know, multiple sessions on different days, the, the vibration will shift, but it'll also be held by this painting. So I think that's where the painting ends up sort of holding space for us more so than than we are for the piece. So I, my interest is always when I approach a piece and a specifically abstract piece, what is the vibration here? How does, does that resonate with the vibration that I hold in my body? Does it feel good to stand in front of it? Or does it feel really uncomfortable to stand in front of it? Which I think is just as valuable. I was just going to say, um, an emotional response is a response, whether it's good or mm-hmm. bad or negative. So I'm, I'm yeah. glad you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. There was, um, there's a, a, I was at the Philadelphia Museum of Art 
and uh, there's a room that has several Cy Twombly paintings in it. And I've been there. I used to live in Philly. So I went a number of times and I would always make sure to, to wander to this far back wing. I would, I would look forward to, to arriving in the room and then I would get there and I would just immediately be like, oh, this arrogant guy, what the <laughs> heck? Like, I can't, this is just like obscenities, just obscenities. <laughs> yeah, but he <laughs> like, totally just, had you. He totally but, owned you. Exactly. I was like, oh, okay, you got me, you got me. And it just, and, and I could just sit with my own judgments judgments and 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 now i can say that and just be so amused because i can then turn that all back in on myself like whoa if i'm judging him and naming him as arrogant do i then feel like if i create something that is what if if i create something period am i does that make me arrogant to feel that it deserves to hang on a gallery wall or a museum wall or a collector's wall no does it, does it does it make me um, a bad person? Does it make me selfish or self-righteous? Like all of these things that I was kind of casting upon him and whether they were true or not of his character, it allowed me to kind of go into myself and, and look at where I was judging myself and in a way sort of slowing down my own creative process and slowing down and closing my outlets um, to creation by, by, by judging it, the end result is wrong. So when you wake up in the morning and you have a certain vibration that you've talked about, can you change it in the studio? Can you go in and say, you know, I need to be here today. I need to think about these things and get this type of energy, although that's not what it was an hour ago. Mm. Yeah, I think that's... uh so, so there are two parts to my answer here. One is that sometimes the studio is what is needed and sometimes I need a different medicine. Sometimes I need to go do yoga or work out or sit in meditation or like, you know, there are those days where it's like, I'm going to eat a box of cookies, like, and then we'll handle things. That's every day <laughs> at my house. Keep going. Yes. But, and then there are the times when I'll go into the studio and, and that's usually when I've gotten to the point where I'm, I'm, if I'm feeling unpleasant, I've also come to this resolve where I'm like, all right, I'm going to handle this. This is, this is not going to run my life. And so it's like, I'm taking the reins back. I'm taking my power back and I'm casting my, and I'm acknowledging what is real for me, what's disruptive or angry or frustrated or whatever it is. And then I'm also acknowledging and naming what I desire, what I want to manifest out of this? What do I want to transform this into? And it's not a matter of erasing or avoiding or running away from the anger, but it requires me to go into the anger. Like So like I said earlier, when I was using the sadness as an example, this would require me to go in and really find, again, like what is the core of this disruption? Like where's the pain here? Why is that painful? What does that look like, feel like, okay, what's the way out? And I'll usually end up um, in the image. I think most of my images right now are, uh, they are painting thresholds. They are portals of, of if you will, um, through from one emotional state into another. Um, and and gosh, as I, as I just said, that word emotional state, I felt this like 
I don't know, like I'm almost anticipating judgment specifically from men um, like, oh, and there's an emotional woman in her studio. And so there's another thing that's just up right now for me to work with. So I actually think I'm going to be end up doing a painting around that sometime well, this week or next week. Men and women aren't going anywhere. Uh, those, <laughs> the, <laughs> those two subjects, those two entities uh, with their subtle variations that we all are aware of now will always be there. And that will always be a prime target for theater and art, uh, painting, sculpture, mm -hmm. literature. It's always going to be there. And my listeners always know that I say we stole everything from the Greeks. And of course, <laughs> the Greeks said the number one rule in theater is conflict. Y yeah. And I, I, mean, I, I appreciate that. It what doesn't I, have to be horrifyingly bad conflict. I'm just saying you can watch a rerun of Gilligan's Island and one of the first things they establish is some kind of conflict because you got to mm -hmm. fix it. Right. You have to navigate it. And I was talking with someone yesterday about um, she was describing a conflict that she was in and I was saying, okay, great. So this is, this is the conflict and there really was no bad guy. And so that's something I want to bring in here is I've been looking at all of this as like, okay, conflict is tension, tension between polarities and to navigate that, to navigate our lives, to have any movement in any scenario, there has to be at least, there has to be more than one energy at play. And so when we bring in this other energy and specific, you know, the masculine and feminine dynamic is, is, wide awake right now because the feminine is is coming into its power and waking up and i'm not talking about feminism i'm talking about a larger feminine energy like some people would call it the divine feminine sacred feminine whatever you want to name it it's alive right now and so it's stepping in and challenging not to dominate because that's a mass domination is a masculine approach and again, I'm not talking about men. I'm talking about the energies. So the the this this female energy is coming up and waking up to find equality because we are actually the one thing we're demanding is collaboration, is to say, yeah, we can all move. We can all move in the way that is perfect for us, that is authentic to us, and then we just need to find who our dancing partners are. So whatever, and so another way of saying that is whatever your goal is, whatever your intention is, it's not a matter of, or it, it, it's more a matter of finding the people who resonate with that goal, support and celebrate that goal, will assist in providing resources, whether they're physical, tangible resources, energetic resources, words, or just holding space as a yes to the direction that you want to move in. And those are our collaborators. And it takes, it, it's, it's taking, and I'm watching it happen, so it's, it's possible and it's beautiful. I'm watching collaboration come into the forefront in all types of working environments, artistic environments, just on a massive scale. We're learning how to work together. And of course, at the same time, there's going to be a learning how of, uh, or an awareness of how different we are because we're also discovering the, who, who our partners are not. And the issue I, that I see is that we are judging those who are not our partners as wrong, as working against us. 
but but more so it's about finding partnership and focusing there on the growth like we were saying earlier uh focusing on generating and building as opposed to destroying and and removing judgment is really a part of that taking the last few paragraphs that we've discussed <laughs> Sorry. No, no, that's fine. Uh, my question is, are those things, are those thoughts and revelations and observations going to be part of your new work, the next step? Or maybe oh, they currently yeah. are intertwined. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's funny because my next step, they're going to be some different expressions of... Um, this big uh, thread that I'm pulling at because I'm starting to feel a little more like an anthropologist than an artist. Like I feel like I'm just documenting via pictures. It feels like there's, there's going to be a performance piece. There's going to be written pieces. There are going to be, there are collaborative pieces that I already, I have plans. I, yesterday I, was, I had a meeting um, with someone about that. And then there's going to be the paintings. There's probably going to be a book involved. Like there, this is a, it's a massive gesture that's going to involve a lot of people and I'm excited by it. And there use, I used to have this idea that I had to go it alone, that I had to do everything myself, that I had to be independent. And really that stemmed from a, a core belief that I think a lot of people have, and I think this is what we're needing to evolve out of as as people, as a consciousness. We need to evolve out of the attachment to separation, the belief that we are in this alone, and shift from that polarity of separation into and toward the polarity of connection. And that means that we're all navigating our boundaries along the way. We're having to learn how to trust, not necessarily other people, but trust ourselves as we um, make judgments and discernments, not negative judgments, but like discern how we want to engage with people and as we intuit who, who we're going to walk that path with. So the polarities between separation and connection are, are really of interest to me now. And as I step further and further into connection with myself, this is part of my mind-body exploration and building connection there, connection with my presence to every single moment, connection in my presence and connection to my interactions. So with you right now and, and to whomever is listening in the future, that is where there's this richness and we charge one another in a positive way and we can recharge one another and continuously sort of check in with our systems their systems are we on the right path is this like is this the direction we want to move in and that's where we can claim creativity in every single moment where we have a choice as to how we're going to experience this moment how we're going to engage with it how much of ourselves we want to offer it and then if we want to change it what do we want that to look like i had a friend who uh, I was in women's group with, and I loved it. She would say, if you could have it anyway, what would it look like? And I love that because I think that's possible. And it's just a matter of finding connection with that vision. And then I, I believe the, the path will unfold to get us there. As, as we say yes to what we want, I believe the path will unfold to, to take us there. 
And I liked what you were saying. Basically, is that at some point you felt you needed to exclude others. You had to be exclusive. And now you're being inclusive. You're bringing these people in to your thoughts and your life and your artwork, literally and figuratively. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that has to feel good. That has to feel better. It does. It really, really does. And, and I'll admit it took a lot of, it took a lot of personal work and kind of getting through my own muck and judgments and fears, really. Like if I was judging someone else, like if we can just look at judgment for a minute, if I was judging someone else, it was because I was trying to keep them uh, distant from me. Like there was something in them that I was wanting to push away. What, but really I was trying to protect myself. Like, so there's this um, sort of sticky dynamic that happens, but if I accept them just as they are and trust what they show, show me, and I'm only putting my, I'm claiming my energy back from the judgment that I put onto them. And I take my energy back and I'm just uh, addressing how I am in presence with them. Then I have a choice. Then my choice returns and, and I can move from there. So it's accepting others does not mean that I have to party with everyone, that I have to work with everyone, but it more means that I can offer an appreciation and then choose how I want to engage from there. Well, it and means you're not cluttered. You're not cluttering your mind with negative thoughts and worrying about them. You can just accept them and move on and get to the good stuff. Right. Exactly. It becomes a leak, a self-imposed leak of energy. Oh, that's a really good way to put that. Anna, to crystallize this conversation and to maybe leave the listeners with a message that you could bring to them. And of course, maybe they're an artist, maybe they're not an artist, maybe they're married to an artist or the Mm -hmm. mother or father. And I think a lot of people need to, a lot of artists need to educate the people around them to fill them in on actually what they're trying to do and trying to say. Mm. So... I'll, uh, I'll ask you the question, what, uh, how would you crystallize this conversation? Hmm. I, I, th- I think that there's actually, I think I would crystallize it by saying that there's room for all of us to, to welcome artistry into our lives and ourselves as an artist. And this is, there's so many layers of this. And I'll start by saying the intention of this is to not just say like, oh yeah, you can you can be free, you can be an artist too. Like that's not what it's about. It's about, <laughs> you know, we we have we have lived so much in our left brain, which is the analytical um, structured masculine brain, and that's what we've been trained to do. And the artist's brain is the right brain. And if we can develop that to be equally as developed, equally as active as the um, as the left brain, that will bring our mental body, our emotional body, our physical body, and our energy body into balance and alignment. So with that, I invite everyone to, whether you call your artist yourself an artist or not, I invite everyone to start exploring how you can act be an active creator in every single moment. And a way of doing that, a very simple way of doing that is just to consider and ask yourself, what is my message here? 
what is my intention here? Whether it's in a conversation, whether you're just chopping the vegetables to go into the soup for dinner, whether you are driving to um, the store or whatever it might be, what is my message? What is my intention? What's the um, vibration I want to hold? And as you start to put your gaze on that vision of what you would like to convey and communicate to the world, you start to align yourself with that. And then you're going to start having ideas. Oh, well, I could say, I could speak to someone this way. I could give them this smile. I could connect with so-and-so. I heard that she read a book on this subject. That might be helpful for me to chat with her on. And you start building these bridges step by step by step to your vision. And it all starts with that simple practice of consistently asking, what is my message here? Or what is my intention? Or how am I creating this moment? What do I want to create in this moment? Because that turns into what do I want to create in this life? Throughout our conversation today, I've been constantly thinking of the phrase, and this comes from your words in general, be there. Be present with yourself and other people. And I think that's very difficult to do unless you become aware of it and you try. Yeah. And and the, the, the key there in being present is to be curious, is to be really curious. I love about that word. This. Yeah. It's such a good one. And it's um, it always puts a smile on my face because if I'm curious about... I'm, I'm curious about myself in this moment, but I'm curious about the other. I really want to know. I want to understand. I want to listen. I want to get their world and my world and understand the world that exists. Because if I'm, say, you and, you and me right now, there's my experience. That's a reality. There's your experience. That's, that's a reality. And then there is the experience that is being shared. So there's this shared reality that we have. So there's three consciousnesses happening there because each reality has a consciousness or a vibration to it. And so then as we, as this is listened to by, by your audience, we are creating sort of this sort of exponential ripple of realities between myself, between you, between us and, and our, and our listeners and how they perceive it. And then how how we all walk away from this after it's recorded, after it's heard, and the changes that that ripple outward from there. So as we consider that and the impact that that we have, there's there's curiosity and honoring of this moment, and then it creates this curiosity and honoring of the legacy that we have the potential of leaving just from an interaction. Anna, your words have been inspiring and interesting and compelling. And I can't say thank you enough for being here (laughs) and sharing all of this great information. Oh, thank you for having me. This has just been so much fun. (laughs) Maybe we'll do it again. I would love that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Anna. Thank you. Have a beautiful day.